to the book of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue our journey through the Beatitudes. These are the, the things that make us happy, which is really foreign to our way of thinking, but this is actually going to help us. And I'm going to probably share one of the most radical ideas you've ever heard today, and I believe it's going to be liberating in many of our lives today. Because I've been praying, and I've had our men in our church praying with me, that we're all going to have a personal transaction with God today. How's that? Anybody up for something like that? All right. You know, some of you probably witnessed this if you're a little older, but, uh, you know, the media today just brings you to every part of the world where there's a crisis. And during the 80s, there was riots in Los Angeles. They were called the Watt Riots. And one of the newspaper reporters was on his way to cover the story when he became part of the story. And what had happened was he became trapped in the traffic and and eventually was singled out by a vigilante group. There was rioting, looting, burning. And so they, they got his vehicle and they were rocking the vehicle. Finally, they were trying to pull him out, drag him out, beat him up. And they finally shot him two times. And he thought, you know, the only way I'm going to get out of this is to pretend I'm not alive. I'm dead. So he feigned death. And eventually, as they continued to move on and loot and burn and all the rest of it, this white reporter, because this was in, you know, the black part of Los Angeles, he drove to a nearby street where the scene of looting and all that was going on was not happening in that neighborhood. And so he's now bleeding badly. He sees two little black children and he cries out asking them for help. Meanwhile, his folks and his grandmother are in the house watching the coverage of the Watt riots, realizing the location is right next door to where they are living. And hearing the cries of their children, they race outside to see what's happening. And what they discover is this wounded white reporter, totally frightened now, as this young black male comes toward him and approaches his vehicle. But he begins to talk to him, and he realizes that this is a safe person. And so the grandmother comes out, and now they realize that they are now putting themselves in danger because if these you know, these looters come this way, not only will they destroy this young man that's been wounded, but they will see these guys as betraying their race, and they themselves will become victims to this lashing out of anger that they're uh, witnessing on the TV set. So the grandmother says, put him in my car, grab a blanket. They threw it over the reporter, and they drove him right through the heart of the looting and rioting in Los Angeles, and they came to the outskirts where there was a police corridor, and there was medical personnel there, and they drove him to the medical personnel. Later, when they were asked why they were willing to put their life in jeopardy by aiding a person of another race, The family simply said, we saw a wounded man in need of medical attention and could not stand by and do nothing to help. Mercy does not evaluate what the outward condition of people. Rather, it looks at the person in their need. How many recognize that mercy can be dangerous? Mercy can be costly. Mercy is usually sacrificial. It's the giving of ourselves for the sake of another. And as I write, it's costly. Generally involves suffering on the part of the one who shows mercy. Jesus now, in speaking on the Sermon of the Mount, says something extremely profound. And I believe we all need to hear this. He says here in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And now we get this little conditional statement. Merciful people will receive mercy. 
And I wonder if unmerciful people will receive exactly what they've been expressing to other people. We're going to talk a little bit about that here today. Now, probably the best definition of mercy that I read was by a preacher by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said, basically, he's comparing mercy with grace. And he says this, grace is especially associated with people and their sins. While while grace looks down upon sin as a, as a whole picture, mercy looks upon the effects or the miserable condition that sin puts people into. Do you see the difference? You see, grace is, yes, it's something we don't deserve. God gives us this beautiful gift. But mercy is God looking at the plight of what our sin is doing to us. How many catch the difference? You know, one is a bigger picture. One is a more specific situation. See, the essential, he says, so that mercy really means a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve the suffering. That is the essential meaning of being merciful. It is pity plus the action. So it's not just that I I feel bad for somebody. It's what I do with what I feel bad about. How it moves me to do something. It compels me to action. That's the idea behind the word mercy. And then he gives kind of an example, an illustration to help us understand this a little better. He says, to have a merciful spirit, he says, can only be displayed when you and I have the opportunity to exact kind of judgment on the person who's abused us. In other words, you know, we can, we can actually decide, you know, I want an eye for an eye kind of thing. He goes on to say, now the way to look whether you are merciful or not is to consider how you feel towards that person who wronged you. Are you going to say, well, now I'm going to exert my rights at this point? See, we're going to get the legal approach. You know, like in the Old Testament, Jesus said, it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, don't exact more punishment than what's due. But how many know that when you and I are wounded, we don't want just, you know, uh, justice. Many times we want revenge. We're hurt. We're angry. We want to destroy the person, right? And that's, you know, instead of an eye for an eye, we want a head for an eye, you know. How many are following what I'm saying? There's a lot of explosive, unresolved stuff building up within us. And so to show mercy means that something else has to occur inside of us. In other words, this person has transgressed against me, and here comes my opportunity to do you know, something back towards this person. And yet the merciful person is the one who doesn't behave that way. You know, The merciful person is... The person who, even though you have this person in your power to get back and be vindictive, instead you show mercy, you show kindness, you show forgiveness. That is extremely powerful. Do you know, I was reading the newspaper this morning, I was reading it yesterday, and I was looking at that main front article where that person who had admitted guilt of violating a child. Remember, some of you probably see that, he's admitted it, he's going to you know, suffer some consequences, his whole career has been wrecked. Well, you know, justifiably so, he's done what's wrong. But when I was reading the comments of the victim, I realized that they still have to process something in their heart. Because even though, you know, my heart goes out to that person, they're excited about this person and may may more be done to that person. In other words, they're angry still. And I don't sense they've come all the way around to what's going to really bring freedom and peace into their heart. You see, you you can actually have justice, but that doesn't satisfy you. That's one of the problems in our legal situation. People don't want just justice. They want revenge. You see, they want more than justice. And that's where we have to find the line. You know, where do we understand this concept of mercy and how powerful is it? 
I think it's one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Bible. Is it possible? I raise a question now. Is it possible that if we do not show mercy, we will not obtain mercy for ourselves? That's an interesting thought. And that's the thought I want you to reflect on as I keep sharing the story that I'm about to relate to you. Jesus tells a very interesting parable in response to a question that Peter raised regarding how often we should show mercy or forgiveness to those who sin against us. And you have to understand, forgiveness is probably one of the major expressions of mercy. So Peter now, culturally, they were taught from the rabbis that to, to be you know, forgiving or merciful, they had to do it at least three times. Okay? So when, Jesus, when Peter asked Jesus the question, how often do I have to forgive the person who, who sins against me? Jesus, you know, Peter says, seven times? How many think that Peter was, you know, really being way beyond what he was taught? He was already moving past his cultural background and actually being far more merciful. And then Jesus answers that question with this comment. He said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, many translations say seven times, 70 times, which when I add that up, that's 490 times. And I know I've said this a few times, but I want to remind us. So what, what is Jesus doing? He's, he's telling us, okay, now, you know, all the times people sin against, you've got to keep track of them. You know, one, two, three, you know, okay, 489. You know, you're really threading on thin ice right now. You've got one more crack and that's it. You know, is that, is that what, what Jesus is doing? You know, and Patty was in the first service and I said, no, is, is it just 490? And she says, you're getting really close. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'd be, I'd be in rough shape, right? You know, I hit the line, that's it, 491, you're done. You know, no more forgiveness. No, Jesus is telling us this, this number is really expressing this unlimited element that I have to have a forgiving nature. I need to have the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of mercy operating in my life. And so Jesus tells a story to really bring it home. And how many know the parables are really there to drive a point home? And so Jesus is now going to tell us the story of the unmerciful servant. And I think there are three scenes in this parable of this unmerciful servant. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to continue on. First of all, in scene number one, we see the extravagant mercy of the king. And I just put down, the king is really a picture of God. It's a picture of our Lord. This is how God relates to you and I as human beings. And so it says here, I think we we rarely tap into the greatness of God's forgiveness. How many say that's probably true? We really don't understand how much we have violated God as human beings. Anybody could say that's probably true? Anybody relate to that? We're, the, we're being created by God, and we just do our own thing down here. And, you know, most of us are, you know, we're either big rebels or little rebels, but we still have a little rebelliousness inside of us. Anybody say amen to that? Is that, is that, is that probably an adequate description, you know? you know? Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. So we've all had a little rebellion in us. And there's moments in our life where that's, you know, been more evident than others. But let me move on here and just talk about the fact that we are all sinners in a straight of, state of great indebtedness to God. All, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one person here that can say, Pastor, I've never sinned. You could say it, but that wouldn't be the truth. You'd be a liar. 
You know, we don't have to admit, no, there's been a few places, you know, yeah, I, I said this wrong, I, I was unforgiving to this. I mean, we could go on and on. We could just sit down. I, I imagine in a day if God has found an angel beside us and started tracking us, he could probably point out a few things that we need to change. Well, how many think that's probably true? A lot of things we're not even observing. We're, we're thinking the wrong thoughts, doing the wrong stuff, and we're just oblivious to this. And I'm thankful that God is constantly in the forgiven, forgiveness business because he's constantly forgiving us of a lot of things. And I'm thankful for that. But let's move on to the story in chapter 18. It said there was a kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now we have to understand in the ancient near world, you know, what would happen is these nations would conquer nations and then they would set up people in those countries that were loyal to the king and their job was to collect taxes. That's one of the reasons why you conquer these kingdoms. It's to generate revenues towards yourself. And they did that all the time in the ancient world. And so they would set somebody up and say, you know, you have to pay me this much out of this kingdom. And they kind of figured out what's a fair level of taxation. But how many know the people they appointed many times you know, the king wasn't keeping an eye on it. It was quite long distance. There's not, you know, the small world we're living in today. We don't have, you know, electronic media, social media, and all the rest of it. There's a lot of things going on in those days. And it went on for a long time before the king really found out what was going on. And so these guys many times would really start charging exorbitant tax rates, really impoverish the people, make sure they paid the king, and then they could keep on making life good for themselves. Well, in this story, something goes awry. As a matter of fact, it says, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of silver was brought to him. That's the more modern NIV. The older one says 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, you and I, we read this. That's why that modern translator is helping us with 10,000 bags of gold. He's trying to give us an idea of the enormity of the debt, okay? Now, when Jesus tells the story, he takes the largest Greek number he can find, and he takes the largest unit of currency of the time, and he puts them together. And what that really comes down to is this huge astronomical indebtedness. And the Bible says here, since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, in the ancient world, you know, if you didn't pay your debts, you were sold as a slave. And then the monies that were made from the sale of the slave, from the buying of, you know, the price that you were accrued to the owner was paid back to this person. And you had to work off many years for that number to be paid back. Isn't that an amazing thought? How many here, you'd probably watch your debt ratio a little closer if you were somebody else's slave. How many say that's probably true, right? And then you get into the more modern times and they still had debtors prison where they would throw people in jail until other people, family members would raise the money to get them out of prison and then the debt would be paid. Debtor's prison. How many say that's a pretty intense situation? Everyone's looking at me like, really? They did that? They did. Believe me, study history. You'll find that out. Okay. So we read in the story, according to Josephus, now this is 10,000 talents. This is what Josephus points out. He said 600 talents in taxes were collected from all of Judea, Indomia, and Samaria in 4 BC. 600 talents. How much did this guy owe again? Oh, 10,000 talents. Are you getting the idea of the enormity of the debt? As a matter of fact, I would say that his debt load was probably like the Canadian 
uh, debt. How many know that we're going to be a long time paying that off, right? Everybody kind of relating? What's Jesus doing? He's using hyperbole. What is hyperbole? It's an exaggerated form of speech. He's trying to make a point. He's basically saying, our debt before God is so great, none of us could ever repay that debt. That's the point he's driving home for us. How many are catching the point? Okay, we made the point. Okay, so now this guy comes up. He's desperate now. He knows he's in trouble. So it says, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged, I will pay back everything. That's not even a realistic statement. How many know that's true? You'll never, you could spend 25 lifetimes, you won't pay that debt back. But he's asking for mercy. That's the point. And then the incredible thing happens. In verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him. In other words, he's going to show him mercy and he canceled the debt and let him go. How many go? Amazing. How many that's amazing mercy? That's amazing grace. That's, that's incredible. Folks, the point is, you and I are that person. We are indebted to God. The only way out of this is we fall on our knees before Almighty God and say, God, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven. And I've sinned against a whole bunch of people. I deserve what I'm going to get from you know, all the things that I've done. Very powerful. You know what's going on in our culture today? We don't even relate to this stuff. You know why? Because we keep telling everybody, everybody's fine. There's no such thing as a bad person anymore. Right? I don't know where all this evil is coming from, but it's not being done by people according to most of these thinkers. I'm going, hey, listen. As human beings, it's amazing how bad we can get, how evil we can get, because we can get locked into all kinds of things in our lives, you know? It's true. People do terrible things to one another. Well, Jesus utilizes the same language of indebtedness towards God in the Lord's Prayer. And we read about it here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. It says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now, isn't it interesting? Luke says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, why in the world would Matthew say it this way? Well, do you know who Matthew is? His Hebrew name is Levi. What was his job? He was a tax collector. How many know? He just thinks this way, right? He's the accountant of the 12 disciples, and he's thinking debt. He's saying sin is like debt. We're in big-time debt to God because we've sinned against Almighty God. So his, and Jesus is saying, listen, we're, our prayer to God is forgive us our indebtedness, and then it's as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now it seems conditional on that, does it not to you? In other words, if I don't forgive my debtors, do I still owe God debt? Interesting. Let me move on to point number two. Point number two, the second scene in the parable, is the incredible lack of mercy extended towards those who are indebted to us. How many get the idea there's a contrast being made here between the extravagant generosity of the king who forgives all, this huge, incredible debt? But now we pick up the story. And what happens in the story is it's amazing how short-sighted this person is. And by the way, before we start saying this guy's bad news bears, many times I think we're going to have to talk to ourselves. Because think about it. In scene number two, we're kind of shocked by his behavior. It says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Earlier translation, denarii. 
He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Does anybody catch on the lines are the same? Pay back what you owe me? Now, you have to realize a denarii. What, how much was a denarii? What was one day's wage for a common worker? So he owed him 100 denarii. That's 100 days wages. So now you take your salary and say, what is my salary for a third of the year, basically? Well, that's a significant amount, right? How many here said, you know, if you had to pay that back, you have a bit of a debt, right? How many say that's true? If you make $100,000, you now owe 30. That's a big chunk. So what I'm trying to get across to us here is let's not diminish the debt that was owed him. And so when we look at our lives and we look at the things that are done against us, many times they're terrible. You know, I'm going to share another story. You're going to say, this is awful. I mean, the things we do to one another, the hurts and the abuse and the violation, right? Those are terrible things. And so we're not minimizing the debt that people owe us. How many of you follow what I'm saying? So I'm not going to minimize that. But let's contrast it to how much we have been forgiven. That's the point of the parable. Everybody see that? So he, he grabbed, it says here, uh, well, let's go back and give you a little bit of an, a relationship between the two debts. There were 6,000 denarii to a single talent. 6,000. And he had been forgiven 10,000 talents. Thus the servant had been forgiven a debt 600 times what he was owed. Are you getting the scope of the picture? How many are getting a scope of the picture? There's a big contrast being made here, right? Okay. <clears throat> Let's keep reading the story. <clears throat> well, in verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Anybody catching an echo? That's exactly what the other guy said, and the king forgave him. But notice his response. He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So what are we having the contrast between being merciful, being unmerciful? Between forgiveness and not forgiving. What was owed? So when we hear the story, it's meant to create something inside of us. Like, that's not fair. Where are all my junior hires? They all left the auditorium. You know, if they would be in here, every one of them would be thinking this, because I know how junior hires work. That's not fair. Anybody heard that from junior hires? You know, and and deep down inside, we know it's not fair, right? It's unjust, you know. How can someone be so insensitive? How can you have that happen to you? You got forgiven, and then turn around and do the exact opposite, right? Isn't that kind of the question in your mind? You know, I think it's easy to denounce that person. How many think that's true? We look at that guy and go, what's wrong with him? He just got all of this amazing fruit, you know, mercy, and why doesn't he show mercy back? Hmm. Well, as I listen to the story, I think it's like Nathan talking to David. The Holy Spirit is kind of going, hey, listen, before we shout, you know, what's wrong with this guy? Maybe we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong with us? You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Because every time someone wounds me, I take offense, you know, something bad happens to me through somebody else, and I don't forgive them. Aren't I not? Aren't I? 
acting just like this guy? Because I have forgotten how much God has forgiven me. Isn't that the point of the parable? Of course it is. That's exactly the point of this parable. So let me just move on and just say this. You know, to show unforgiveness to others is to despise the mercy that has been shown to us. I don't think we've fully gotten it yet. Let me move on to the third scene in the parable of the unmerciful servant. We've seen the extravagant nature of of the Lord. We've seen the incredible lack of mercy or forgiveness shown by the person who had just been shown mercy. And now we see a dangerous truth that we need to grasp. Here comes the punchline. There's a reason Jesus tells the story. What's he trying to teach us here? What's he trying to tell us? Okay, verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. One translation says they were indignant. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. And listen to what he says to him. You, what? Wicked servant. I, I don't know about you. I don't want Jesus calling me a wicked servant. Anybody want that designation in your life? Not really. What is he saying? You mean you didn't get this lesson? You mean I forgave you all of that and you couldn't forgive this? In other words, there's a disconnect between what you got and what you're not showing. Did you really grasp what mercy is? Do you really get it? Obviously you didn't because if you had, you would have shown mercy. He calls him a wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. And shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And anger his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Where was he put? In prison. I'm going to tell you, this is so scary. But you know, every one of us who does not forgive someone who hurts us, we're there. We're in prison. We are in prison. You say, what do you mean we're in prison? We are in a big world of hurt on the inside. We're in this place called bitterness and anger and unresolved emotional stuff in our lives. We're still letting the feelings of the injustice be as strong, if not stronger, in our life than it's ever been. And I would even argue that there are some people who have been hurt 30 years ago, and that emotional pain is just as real today as it was 30 years ago. It's absolutely dominated their whole life. But I'm going to give you the good news this morning. God can change that in your life. He can remove that from you. Can I just say this, that when we get hurt, there's a lot of emotion Everyone in this room, I'm just going to run a little test. You know, how many here, you can raise your hand and say to me, I've never been hurt in my life. Raise your hand. I'm looking around. Oh, my. Every one of us have been touched by pain, by some offense, by some woundedness, right? We all have. And okay, there's that emotional stuff that goes on inside of us. And I'm going to say it's okay to feel the pain. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be indignant. It's okay to have all those emotions rolling on the inside of you. 
It's what you do next that's so critical. Don't pretend they don't exist. Don't get super pious and go, I don't feel anything. You're lying. You're lying. You're not in touch with reality. You're not in touch with your emotions, folks. You need to admit it and say, God, I'm wounded. I'm in pain. I'm upset about this. I feel violated. I feel abused. It's okay to acknowledge those emotions, but it's what we do with them. And here's what I'm going to suggest. What does God say to do to those that mistreat us, abuse us? He says, forgive them. Do good to them. Bless them. You go, whoa, 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 God. That's not even realistic. God says, yeah, I know. You're going to need my help to do that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you do, in the power of God's grace, by the enabling power of God's grace to forgive that person, pray for them, do good to them, and bless them, you know what's going to happen? A miracle. Your emotions are going to change. Woo! You are going to be out of the prison house. You are going to be free. Yay! Isn't that amazing? That's what happens. You know? Isn't that powerful? You go, do you know what happens then? You move from being a victim. They have to go somewhere, if you all want to know. They already told me. You have to move from being a, you move from being a victim to being a victor. Is that powerful? Isn't that amazing what happens inside of your life? How we treat others will eventually return to us. It's the golden rule in reverse. You ever thought about it? Luke says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. So if I don't show them mercy, what am I really asking for? Not to be shown mercy. Isn't that true? Wow, interesting. You know what? James even tells us this. Uh, He's going to use our own standard against ourselves. Listen to what James says. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's powerful. That's how you overcome, by showing mercy. What is Jesus teaching us? No. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, I've heard all of this. Well, pastor, I've forgiven them, but it's hard to forgive them from my heart. No, I'm going, stop all of that little stuff and just say, look, let's be realistic. I've already told you. Yes, those emotions are real. How do you change emotions? By doing the right thing. I have discovered one thing in life. If you do the right thing, your emotions eventually catch up to you. But most of us are letting our emotions define our entire life. We're just emotionally driven. And a lot of us don't think we are, but we really are. We're making emotional decisions all the time. And I'm trying to tell you, you need to figure out what does God want you to do, then do that. And then your emotions go, oh, I'm supposed to do this? Yeah. And your emotions jump up to what you're actually doing. And all of a sudden you're going, wow, I actually feel different about this person. Do you know if you pray for your enemy every single day and ask God to bless them, your attitude towards them will change. It's the way it works. You know, if you go, well, I don't have any enemies, Pastor. Well, I don't believe you. I've read the Bible. 
See, that's a, that's a super spiritual concept, but I've read Psalm 23. It says, God will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. So God doesn't, you know, you, oh, please, God, take me out of this job. I've got so many enemies here. What's that? Maybe God put you there so you could pray for your enemies. And one day they might become your friends. What do you think of that idea? That's more powerful than just moving from job to job to job. I know. Pastor, you're not even being realistic. I'm going, I'm being spiritual. I'm being biblical. I'm telling you how you do this in life. This is practical stuff. Okay. If we don't forgive, Jesus says, he won't forgive. Then we'd all be doomed. Isn't that true? Jesus may be teaching that no true disciple could ever act as this servant did. Those who do so show that they have never really experienced God's forgiveness. Because I'm convinced when you experience God's forgiveness, the spirit of forgiveness now lives inside of you. Isn't that tr- There's a transformation that's actually happened in your life. I like what Craig Bloomberg says. Alternately, he may be indicating that God makes forgiveness available for everyone, but only those who appropriate it by a life of forgiveness show that they have genuinely accepted his pardon. That's another way of saying it. In other words, when I really experience it, I'll show it. Let me close with the story of Chris Carrier. Here's a little boy... Five days before Christian, a stranger approached him, but actually he, he had been somebody that had worked for his dad. But Chris, who was 10 years old, didn't know it. He just said, hey, listen, I want to buy a gift for your dad. And of course, Chris was eager to please his dad, and he said, hey, let's go out and do it. And so he jumped into the, the, this guy's truck, and they drove off. But the driver took Chris to a remote field and said, oh, I'm lost, and asked him to look at a map. And while he was looking at a map, he felt a sudden sharp pain in his back because the stranger had now stabbed him with an ice pick. The man drove the wounded boy down a dirt road, shot him in the temple, and left him for dead in the Florida Everglades. Chris lay lifeless for six days until a driver happened to see him on the side of the road. Must have been a rarely used road. He miraculously survived his injuries, though now blinded in his left eye. He was unable to identify his attacker, so there was no way to apprehend the person who did this to him. For a long time, Chris remained frightened. He probably was traumatized by this experience. You can imagine, even though there was police protection, it never alleviated the fear that was ruling in his heart. When he was 15 years old, five years later, he was invited by a youth group to go on a hayride and there heard the gospel of Jesus and gave his life to Christ. For the first time, he had peace in his heart. Eventually, Chris became a minister. Isn't that amazing? God called him into the ministry, and he began to preach the gospel. In 1996, a detective told Chris over the phone that a man had confessed to the crime that had cost him his left eye. The man's name was David McAllister, and so Chris made a plan to visit this man and discovered him in in, in a senior's home. This man, now 77 years old, was blind. This strong young man that Chris remembered stabbing him and throwing him aside was now a broken, humbled 77-year-old man. Chris learned from the detective some of the background that had happened years ago. What had happened was this man, David, was a nurse, and he was taking care of Chris's father's uncle. But one day when Chris's father had come, he realized that this nurse was drunk out of his mind, and he fired him. And to get revenge, 
he retaliated against his 10-year-old son. How many say this is kind of a tragic story? But now Chris is talking to this older man, and he denies knowing anything about the story, but Chris eventually leads him along and reveals more about himself, and soon the older gentleman begins to open up and share, yes, I did this terrible thing to you. And then Chris said, listen, what, and, and, he, and he apologized. He said, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And he told his attacker how God allowed his wounds to become an open door to share the story, to share this good news of forgiveness. Chris went home and he told his wife and kids about meeting the man who had tried to kill him. And his entire family began almost daily visits to David McAllister's nursing home to go visit him. And then one Sunday afternoon, Chris said to David, he said, listen, do you want to know Jesus and receive his forgiveness? And he said, yes. And so Chris led the man who stabbed and shot him to Christ. He said, both of those men just were weeping. It was so beautiful. And then a few days later, McAllister died peacefully in his sleep. Wow, this is such a story, isn't it? Carrier says, it's not a story of regret, but of redemption. I saw the Lord give that man back his life and so much more. And I can't wait to see him again someday in heaven. How could Chris show this kind of mercy? Because he himself had experienced God's mercy. Is it possible that the true test of a believer's life is not what we profess to believe, but how we respond to those who hurt us? Maybe that's the real test. Because you and I are going to get to exercise this many times in our lives. Isn't that true? I'm going to have a stand as we close the service right now. And you know, we were praying this morning, and I, I, I really believe that God wants to set people free today. You know, years ago, I heard a story. I never witnessed this, but the man, one of my Bible teachers when I was a young student, told the story of the most amazing miracle he had ever seen. It was a young woman who was in a wheelchair. And her and her husband were driving home from a youth meeting, and they had a one little child, and they were the leaders. A drunk driver came across the road and, ki- and it killed her husband and her child and it crippled her. She was so full of anger and bitterness inside of her heart. These people came into this meeting and she was in a wheelchair. And just like this message today, it was a message on forgiveness. When they wheeled her up front for prayer, she prayed a prayer of forgiveness. And she finally relinquished the hatred and the unforgiveness she had in her heart towards the drunk driver and even all the feelings where she felt not supported by other Christians. And the moment she forgave, she literally came out of that wheelchair and started walking. It was so powerful. So powerful. You go, Pastor, that, that, that's almost mind-boggling. But let me tell you why. Because our minds are so powerful, folks. And when we're living in a prison house of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger, it's like we're drinking poison, hoping the other person's going to die. We're the ones that are locked into that prison. You know, God wants to set us free today. And right now where you're standing, just all over this auditorium, 
I've been praying this morning with a group of men. We're just saying, Lord, just reveal the people right now. Are there people in your life? Right now, as they're coming to mind, people, maybe you've got to let go of something. You've got to let go of the hurt that's right there in your soul. Maybe it's your father. It could be your mother. It's usually the people closest to us that hurt us the worst, by the way. And can I just share with you, forgiveness is the gift you give people they don't deserve. It's the same gift God gives you and I, the gift we need but we don't deserve. It's called forgiveness. God forgives us of our sins. And right now, there's people coming to your mind. Maybe it's a spouse, ex-spouse. I don't know who it is. I believe the Holy Spirit right now can bring people to your mind right now. And you just need to say, okay, I'm going to make a choice. I have emotions, and they're, they're very real. And that's probably what's kept us from really forgiving is because of those emotions. We've been wounded so deeply. But God today wants to set you free. It's a choice you and I have to make. We say, Lord, by your spirit and grace, I choose to forgive this person. Maybe you were molested. I could go down the statistics. There's so much woundedness in our world today. And we just perpetuate these things. But right now, just let it go. Just say, God, by your grace, I choose to forgive that person's name. Just say it right now. I choose to forgive them. I choose to bless them, Father, in your precious name. I pray, Lord, that you will do a work of grace in their soul, that you will turn them around. And if they're dead, Father, I pray that you showed them mercy. Because, Lord, I want to receive all the mercy I can get from your hand. Amen? Amen. Let me just close in prayer. Father, I thank you right now. Your spirit is hovering over our hearts. That you're speaking into our lives. There's disappointments. There's people that have have taken advantage of us, misused us. Lord, I pray right now that we'll just let go of all this hurt, all this pain right now. We're just going to bury it right now in a sea of forgetfulness. We're going to not allow the past to define our present and future life. We're making a choice today to be free, to be free to forgive and to receive forgiveness. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' precious, forgiving, and powerful name. Amen. Amen as you leave. God bless you.